Chapter Eight of Jeremy and Hamlet by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: The Ruffians. One. Jeremy sat on a high cliff overlooking the sea. He had never, since he was a tiny baby, had any fear of heights, and now his short, thick legs dangled over a fearful abyss in a way that would have caused his mother's heart to go faint with terror had she seen it the sight before him was superb not to be exceeded perhaps in the whole world for strength and even ferocity of outline combined with luxuriance and southern softness of colour here the two worlds met the worlds of the north and the south even in the early morning breeze there seemed to mingle the harsh irony of the high glebeshire uplands and the gentle caressing warmth of the sheltered coves and shell-scattered shores the sea was a vast curtain of silk pale blue beyond the cove a deep and shining green in the depths immediately below jeremy's feet that pale curtain was woven both of sea and sky and seemed to quiver under the fingers of the morning breeze it was suspended between two walls of sharp black rock jagged ferocious ruthless sharp to jeremy's right inside the black curve of stone was a little beach of the palest yellow and nestling on to it standing almost within it was a little old church with a crooked grey tower and a wandering graveyard behind the church stretched a lovely champagne of the gentlest most english countryside hills green as brightly coloured glass rising smoothly into the blue little valleys thickly patched with trees cottages from whose stumpy chimneys smoke was already rising cows and sheep and in the distance the joyful barking of a dog the only sound in all that early scene save the curling whisper of the tide jeremy had arrived with his family at carleon rectory the night before in a state of rebellious discontent he had been disgusted when he heard that this summer they were to break the habit of years and to abandon his beloved cow farm in favour of a new camping-ground and a rectory too when they always lived so close to churches and had so eternally to do with them no farm any more no mrs monk mr monk and the little monks no animals no cows and pigs no sheep and no horses above all no tim no tim with the red face and the strong legs tim perhaps the best friend he had in the world after of course riley and hamlet he had felt it bitterly and during that journey from polchester to the sea always hitherto so wonderful a journey he had sulked and sulked refusing to notice any of the new scenery the novel excitements and fresh incidents like the driving all the way for instance from st mary moor in a big wagonette with farmers and their wives lest he should be betrayed into any sort of disloyalty to his old friends the arrival at the rectory with its old walled garden flowers all glimmering in the dusk the vast oak in the middle of the lawn was in spite of himself an interesting experience but he allowed no expression of amusement to escape from him and went to bed the moment after supper he awoke of course at a desperately early hour and was compelled then to jump out of bed and look out of the window 
he discovered to his excited amazement that the sea was right under his nose this was marvellous to him at cow farm you could watch only a little cup of it between a dip in the trees and that miles away here the garden seemed actually to border it and you could watch it stretch with the black cliffs to the left of it miles 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 into the sky the world was lovely at that hour blackbirds and thrushes were on the dew-drenched lawn somewhere in the house a cuckoo clock announced that it was just six o'clock before he knew what he was about he had slipped on his clothes was down the dark stairs and out into the garden as he sat dangling his feet above space and looked out to sea he argued with himself about cow farm of course cow farm would always be first but that did not mean that other places could not be nice as well he would never find anyone at carleon as delightful as tim and if only tim were here everything would be perfect but tim could not of course be in two places at once and he had to do his duty by the monks as he sat there swinging his legs and looking down into that perfect green water so clear that you could see gold and purple lights shifting beneath it and black lines of rock-like licorice sticks twisting as the shadows moved he was forced to admit to himself that he was terribly happy he had never lived close cheek by jowl with the sea as he was doing now the thought of five whole weeks spent thus on the very edge of the water made him wriggle his legs so that there was a very real danger of his falling over the juxtaposition of hamlet who had of course followed him saved him from further danger he knew that he himself was safe and would never fall but hamlet was another matter and must be protected the dog was perilously near the edge balancing on his forefeet and sniffing down so the boy got up and dragged the dog back and then lay down among the sea pinks and the heather and looked up into the cloudless sky hamlet rested his head on the fatty part of his master's thigh and breathed deep content he had come into some place where there wandered a new company of smells appetizing tempting soon he would investigate them for the present it was enough to lie warm with his master and dream suddenly he was conscious of something he raised his head and jeremy feeling his withdrawal half sat up and looked about him facing them both were a group of giant boulders scattered there in the heather and looking like some druid circle of ancient stones hamlet was now on all fours his tail up his hair bristling it's all right said jeremy lazily there's nobody there but even as he looked an extraordinary phenomenon occurred there rose from behind the boulder a tangled head of hair and beneath the hair a round hostile face and two fierce interrogative eyes then as though this were not enough there arose in line with the first head a second and with the second a third and then with the third a fourth four round bullet heads four fierce hostile pairs of eyes staring at hamlet and jeremy jeremy stared back feeling that here was some trick played upon him as when the conjurer at thompson's had produced a pigeon out of a handkerchief 
the trick effect was heightened by the fact that the four heads and the sturdy bodies connected with them were graduated in height to a nicety as you might see four clowns at a circus as were the four bears a symmetry almost divine and quite unnatural the eldest the fiercest and most hostile had a face and shoulders that might belong to a boy of sixteen the youngest and smallest might have been jeremy's age jeremy did not notice any of this very plain to him the fact that the four faces to whomsoever they might belong did not care either for him or his dog one to four he was in a situation of some danger he was suddenly aware that he had never seen boys quite so ferocious in appearance the street boys of polchester were milk and water to them hamlet also felt this he was sitting up his head raised his body stiff intent and you could feel within him the bark strangled by the melodrama of the situation jeremy said uh, rather feebly uh, hello the reply was a terrific ear-shattering bellow from four lusty throats then more distinctly get out of this fear was in his heart he was compelled afterwards to admit it he could only reply very feebly why the eldest of the party glaring replied if you don't we'll make you then this is ours here hamlet was now quivering all over and jeremy was afraid lest he should make a dash for the boulders he therefore climbed on to his feet holding hamlet's collar with his hand and smiling answered i'm sorry i didn't know i've only just come well get out then was the only reply what fascinated him like a dream was the way that the faces did not move nor more body reveal itself painted against the blue sky they might have been ferocious stares and all there was nothing more to be done he beat an inglorious retreat not indeed running but walking with what dignity he could summon hamlet at his side uttering noises like a kettle on the boil two he had not to wait long for some explanation of the vision at breakfast and it was a wonderful breakfast with more eggs and bacon cream and strawberry jam than he had ever known his father said now children there's only one thing here that you must remember jeremy are you listening yes father don't speak with your mouth full there's a farm near the church on the sand you can't mistake it is the farm on the sand father asked mary her eyes wide open no of course not how could a farm be on the sand the farmhouse stands back at the end of the path that runs by the church it's a gray farm with a high stone wall you cannot mistake it well none of you children are to go near that farm on no account whatever on no account whatever to go near it why not father asked jeremy is there scarlet fever there because i say so is quite enough said mr cole there's a family staying there you must have nothing at all to do with perhaps you will see them in the distance you must avoid them and never speak to them are they very wicked asked mary her voice vibrating low with the drama of the situation 
never mind what they are they are not fit companions for you children it is most unfortunate that they are here so close to us had i known it i would not i think have come here jeremy said nothing these were of course his friends of the morning he could see now straight across the breakfast table those eight burning staring eyes later from the slope of the green hill above the rectory he looked across the gleaming beach at the church the road and then in the distance the forbidden farm strange how the forbidding of anything made one from the very bottom of one's soul long for it yesterday staring across the green slopes and hollows the farm would have been but a grey patch sewn into the purple hill that hung behind it now it was mysterious crammed with hidden life of its own the most dramatic point in the whole landscape what had they done that family that was so terrible what was there about those four boys that he had never seen in any boys before he longed to know them with a burning desperate longing nevertheless a whole week passed without any contact once jeremy saw against the skyline on the hill behind the church a trail of four single file silhouetted black they passed steadily secretly bent on their own mysterious purposes the sky when their figures had left it was painted with drama once mary reported that wandering along the beach a wild figure almost naked had started from behind a rock and shouted at her she ran of course and behind her there echoed a dreadful laugh but the best story of all was from helen who passing the graveyard had seen go down the road a most beautiful lady most beautifully dressed according to helen she was the most lovely lady ever seen with jewels hanging from her ears pearls round her neck and her clothes a bright orange she had walked up the road and gone through the gate into the farm the mystery would have excited them all even more than in fact it did had carleon itself been less entrancing but what carleon turned out to be no words can describe those were the days of course before golf links in glebeshire and although no one who has ever played on the carleon links will ever wish them away they the handsomest kindest most fantastic sea links in all of england yet i will not pretend that those same green slopes sliding so softly down to the seashore bending back so gently to the wild mysteries of the pundery moor had not then a virgin charm that now they have lost who can decide but for children thirty years ago what a kingdom glittering with colour they had the softness of a loving mother the sudden tumbled romance of an adventurous elder brother they caught all the colours of the floating sky in their laps and the shadows flew like birds from shoulder to shoulder and then suddenly the hills would shake their sides and all those shadows would slide down to the yellow beach and lie there like purple carpets you could race and race and never grow tired lie on your back and stare into the fathomless sky roll over forever and come to no harm wander and never be lost the first gate of the kingdom and the last the little golden square underneath the tower where the green witch has her stall of treasures that she never sells 
three then the great adventure occurred one afternoon the sun shone so gloriously that jeremy was blinded by it blinded and dream-smitten so that he sat perched on the garden wall of the rectory staring before him at the glitter and the sparkle seeing nothing but perhaps a little boat of dark wood with a ruby sail floating out to the horizon having on its boards sacks of gold and pearls and diamonds gold in fat slabs pearls in white shaking heaps diamonds that put out the eyes so bright they were going going whither he does not know but shades his eyes against the sun and the boat has gone and there is nothing there but an unbroken blue of sea with the black rocks fringing it mary called up to him from the garden and suggested that they should go out and pick flowers and still in a dream he climbed down from the wall and stood there nodding his head like a mandarin he suffered himself to be led by mary into the high road only stopping for a moment to whistle for hamlet who came running across the lawn as though he had just been shot out of a cannon it can have been only because he was sunk so deep in his dream that he wandered without knowing it down over the beach jumping the hill-stream that intersected it, up the sand, past the church, out along the road that led straight to the forbidden farm. Nor was Mary thinking of their direction. She was having one of her happy days, her straw hat on the back of her head, her glasses full of sunlight, her stockings wrinkled about her legs, walking, her head in the air, singing one of her strange, tuneless chants that came to her when she was happy there was a field on their right and a break in the hedge through the break she saw buttercups thousands of them and loosestrife and snapdragon she climbed the gate and vanished into the field jeremy walked on scarcely realizing her absence suddenly he heard a scream he stopped and hamlet stopped pricking up his ears another scream then a succession piercing and terrible then over the field gate mary appeared tumbling over regardless of all audiences and proprieties then running crying jeremy 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 buttercups scattering from her hands as she ran her face was one question mark of terror her hat was gone her hair ribbon dangling her stockings about her ankles all she could do was to cling to jeremy crying oh, 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 oh what is it he asked roughly his fear for her making him impatient was it a bull no 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 oh jeremy oh dear oh dear the, the boys they hit me pulled my hair what boys but already he knew recovering a little she told him she had not been in the field a moment and was bending down picking her first buttercups when she felt herself violently seized from behind her arms held and looking up there were three boys standing there all around her terrible fierce boys looking ever so wicked they tore her hat off her head pulled her hair and told her to leave the field at once never to come into it again that it was their field and she'd better not forget it and to tell all her beastly family that they'd better not forget it either and that they'd be shot if they came in there then they took me to the gate and pushed me over they were very rough i've got bruises 
she began to cry as the full horror of the event broke upon her jeremy's anger was terrible to witness he took her by the arm come with me he said he led her to the end of the road beyond the church now you go home he said don't breathe a word to anyone till i get back very well she sobbed but i've lost my hat i'll get your hat he answered and take hamlet with you he watched her set off no harm could come to her there in the open she had only to cross the beach and climb the hill he watched her until she had jumped the stream hamlet running in front of her then he turned back he climbed the gate into the field there was no one only the golden sea of buttercups and near the gate a straw hat he picked it up and back in the road again stood hesitating there was only one thing he could do and he knew it but he hesitated he had been forbidden to enter the place and besides there were four of them and such a four then he shrugged his shoulders a very characteristic action of his and marched ahead the gate of the farm swung easily open and then at once he was upon them all four of them sitting in a row upon a stone wall at the far corner of the yard and staring at him it was a dirty messy place and a fitting background for that company the farm itself looked fierce with its blind gray wall and its sullen windows and the yard was in fearful confusion oozing between the stones with shiny yellow streams and dank coagulating pools piled high with heaps of stinking manure pigs wandering in the middle distance hens and chickens and a ruffian dog chained to his kennel the four looked at jeremy without moving jeremy came close to them and said you're a lot of dirty cads they made neither answer nor movement dirty cads to touch my sister a girl who couldn't touch you still no answer only one the smallest jumped off the wall and ran to the gate behind jeremy i'm not afraid of you said jeremy he was terribly afraid i wouldn't be afraid of a lot of dirty sneaks like you are to hit a girl still no answer so he ended and we'll go wherever we like it isn't your field and we've got as much right to it as you have he turned to go and faced the boy at the gate the other three had now climbed off the wall and he was surrounded he had never since the night with the sea captain been in so perilous a situation he thought that they would murder him and then hide his body under the manure they looked quite capable of it and in some strange way this farm was so completely shut off from the outside world the house watched so silently the wall was so high and he was very small indeed compared with the biggest of the four no he did not feel very happy nothing could be more terrifying than their silence but if they were silent he could be silent too so he just stood there and said nothing what are you going to do about it suddenly asked the biggest of the four do about what he replied his voice trembling in spite of himself simply as it seemed to him from the noisy beating of his heart our cheeking your sister i can't do much jeremy said when there are four of you but i'll fight the one my own size 
that hero grinning moved forward to jeremy but the one who had already spoken broke out let him out we don't want him and don't you come back again he suddenly shouted i will jeremy shouted in return if i want to and then i regret to say took to his heels and ran pell-mell down the road four now this was an open declaration of war and not lightly to be disregarded jeremy said not a word of it to any one not even to the wide-eyed mary who had been waiting in a panic of terror under the oak tree like the lady at carpaccio's picture of st george and the dragon longing for her true knight to return all bloody and tumbled to quote miss jane porter's thaddeus he was not bloody nor was he tumbled but he was serious-minded and preoccupied this was all very nice but it was pretty well going to spoil the holidays these fellows hanging round and turning up just whenever they pleased frightening everybody and perhaps this sudden thought made for a moment his heart stand still doing something really horrible to hamlet he felt as though he had the whole burden of it on his shoulders as though he were on guard for all the family there was no one to whom he could speak no one at all for several days he moved about as though in enemy country looking closely at hedges scanning hill horizons keeping hamlet as close to his side as possible no sign of the ruffians no word of them at home they had faded into smoke and gone down with the wind suddenly one morning when he was in a hollow of the downs throwing pebbles at a tree he heard a voice hands up or i fire he turned round and saw the eldest of the quartet quite close to him although he had spoken so fiercely he was not looking fierce but rather was smiling in a curious crooked kind of way jeremy could see him more clearly than before and a strange enough object he was he was wearing a dirty old pair of flannel cricketing trousers and a grubby shirt open at the neck one of his eyes was bruised and he had a cut across his nose but the thing in the main that struck jeremy now was his appearance of immense physical strength his muscles seemed simply to bulge under his shirt he had the neck of a prize-fighter he was a great deal older than jeremy perhaps sixteen or seventeen years of age his eyes which were gray and clear were his best feature but he was no beauty and in his dirty clothes and with his bruises he looked a most dangerous character jeremy called hamlet to him and held him by the collar all right the ruffian said i'm not going to touch your dog i didn't think you were said jeremy lying oh yes you did i suppose you think we eat dog flesh and murder babies lots of people do the sudden sense that other folk in the world also thought the quartet outlaws was new to jeremy he had envisaged the affair as a struggle in which the cole family only were engaged eat babies jeremy cried no do you of course not said the boy that's the sort of damned rot people talk they think we do anything he suddenly sat down on the turf, and Jeremy sat down too, dramatically picturing to himself the kind of things that would happen did his father turn the corner and find him there amicably in league with his enemy. 
there followed a queer in and out little conversation bewildering in some strange way so that they seemed to sink deeper and deeper into the thick velvet pile of the green downs lost to all the world that was humming like a top beyond the barrier i liked your coming into the yard about your sister that was damned plucky of you for some reason hidden deep in the green down jeremy had never before known praise that pleased him so deeply he flushed kicking the turf with the heels of his boots you were cads to hit my sister he said he let hamlet's collar go and the dog went over and smelt the dirty trousers and sniffed at the rough reddened hand how old are you ten and a half i know you're called cole you're the son of the parson at the rectory jeremy nodded his head the boy was now sprawling his length his head resting on his arms his thick legs stretched out you're awfully strong jeremy suddenly said the boy nodded his head i am that i can throw a cricket ball from here to the church i can wrestle any one box too he didn't say this boastfully but quite calmly stating well-known facts jeremy opened his eyes wide what are you called he asked humphrey charles rutben where do you go to school i don't go i was kicked out of harrow but it didn't matter anyway because my governor couldn't pay the school bills expelled this was exciting indeed jeremy inquired but his friend would give no reasons only looked at him curiously and smiled then he suddenly went on in another tone you know everyone hates us don't you yes i know that said jeremy why is it because we're bad humphrey said solemnly our hand is against everyone and everyone's hand is against us but why asked jeremy again well for one thing they don't like father he's got if you were speaking very politely what you'd call a damned bad temper by jove you should see him lose it he's broken three chairs in the farm already i don't suppose we shall be here very long we're always moving about then another reason is that we never have any money father makes a bit racing sometimes and then we're flush for a week or two but it never lasts long why he went on drawing himself up with an air of pride we owe money all over the country that's why we came down to this rotten dull hole because we hadn't been down here before and another reason they don't like us is because that woman who lives with us isn't father's wife and she isn't our mother either i should rather think not she's a beast i hate her he added reflectively there was a great deal of all this that jeremy did not understand but he got from it an immense impression of romance and adventure and then as he looked across at the boy opposite to him a new feeling came to him a feeling that he'd never known before it was an exciting strange emotion something that was suddenly almost adoration he was aware all in a second that he would do anything in the world for this strange boy he would like to be ordered by him to run down the shoulder of the down and race across the sands and plunge into the sea and he would do it or to be commanded by him all the way to st mary's ever so many miles to fetch something for him 
it was so new an experience that he felt exceedingly shy about it and could only sit there kicking at the turf and saying nothing humphrey's brow was suddenly as black as thunder he got up i see what it is he said you're like the rest now i've told you what we are you don't want to have anything more to do with us well you needn't nobody asked you you can just go back to your old parson and say to him oh father i met such a wicked boy to-day he was naughty and i'm never going to talk to him again all right then go along the attack was so sudden that jeremy was taken entirely by surprise he had been completely absorbed by this new feeling he had not known that he had been silent oh no i don't care what you are or your father or whether you haven't any money i've got some money i'll give it to you if you like and you shall have threepence more on saturday fourpence if i know my collect i say he stammered over this request i, I wish you'd throw a stone from here and see how far you can humphrey was immensely gratified he bent down and picked up a pebble then straining backwards ever so slightly slung it it vanished into the blue sea jeremy sighed with admiration you can throw he said would you mind if i felt the muscle on your arm he felt it he had never imagined such a muscle do you think i could have more if i worked at it he asked stretching out his own arm humphrey graciously felt it that's not bad for a kid of your size he said you ought to lift weights in the morning that's the way to bring it up then he added you're a sporting kid i like you i'll be here again same time to-morrow and without another word was running off with a strange jumping motion across the down jeremy went home and could think of nothing at all but his adventure how sad it was that always without his in the least desiring it he was running up against authority he had been forbidden to go near the farm or to have anything to do with the wild outlawed tenants of it and now here he was making close friends with one of the worst of them he could not help it he did not want to help it when he looked round the family supper-table how weak colourless and uninteresting they all seemed no muscles no outlawry no running from place to place to escape the police he saw humphrey standing against the sky and slinging that stone he could throw there was no doubt of it he could throw perhaps better than anyone else in the world they met then every day and for a glorious wonderful week nobody knew i am sorry to say that jeremy was involved at once in a perfect mist of lies and false excuses what a business it was being always with the family he had felt it now for a long time the apparent impossibility of going anywhere or doing anything without everybody all around you asking multitudes of questions where are you going to jeremy where have you been what have you been doing i haven't seen you for the last two hours jeremy mother's been looking for you everywhere so he lied and lied and lied otherwise he got no harm from this wonderful week one must do humphrey that justice that he completely respected jeremy's innocence he even for perhaps the first time in his young life tried to restrain his swearing they found the wild moor at the back of the downs a splendid hunting ground 
here in the miles of gorse and shrub and pond and heather they were safe from the world their companions birds and rabbits humphrey knew more about animals than any one in england he said so himself so it must be true the weather was glorious hot and gorse scented they bathed in the pools and ran about naked humphrey doing exercises standing on his head turning somersaults lifting jeremy with his hands as though he weighed nothing at all humphrey's body was brown all over like an animal's humphrey talked and jeremy listened he told jeremy the most marvellous stories and jeremy believed every word of them they sat on a little hummock with a dark wood behind them and watched the moon rise you're a decent kid said humphrey i like you better than my brothers i suppose you'll forget me as soon as i'm gone i'll never forget you said jeremy can't you leave your family and be somebody else then you can come and stay with us stay with a parson not much you'll see me again one day i'll send you a line from time to time and let you know where i am finally they swore friendship they exchanged gifts humphrey gave jeremy a broken pocket-knife and jeremy gave humphrey his silver watch-chain they shook hands and swore to be friends forever and then the final and terrible tragedy occurred five it came just as suddenly as for a romantic climax it should have come on the afternoon that followed the friendship swearing humphrey did not appear at the accustomed place jeremy waited for several hours and then went melancholy home at breakfast next morning there were those grown-up mysterious allusions that mean that some catastrophe too terrible for tender ears is occurring i never heard anything so awful said aunt amy it's so sad to me said jeremy's mother sighing that people should want to do these things it's abominable said mr cole that they were ever allowed to come here at all we should have been told before we came but do you really think said aunt amy i know because mrs but just fancy if it's quite possible especially when what a dreadful thing that jeremy sat there feeling as though everyone were looking at him what had happened to humphrey he must go at once and find out he slipped off after breakfast and before he reached the bottom of the downs heard shouts and cries he ran across the beach and was soon involved in a crowd of farmers women boys and animals all shouting crying out and barking together being small he was able to worry his way through without any attention being paid to him indeed every one was too deeply excited by what was happening in the yard of the farm to notice small boys when at last he got to the gate and looked through he beheld an extraordinary scene among the cobbles and the manure heaps and the filth many things were scattered articles of clothing some chairs and a table some pictures many torn papers the yard was almost filled with men and women all of them apparently shouting and screaming together a big red-faced man next to jeremy was crying over and over again that'll teach him to meddle with our women that'll teach him to meddle with our women on the steps of the farmhouse an extraordinary woman was standing quite alone no one near to her standing there contempt in her eyes and a curious smile almost of pleasure on her lips 
even to jeremy's young innocence she was over-coloured her face was crimson she wore a large hat of bright green and a bright green dress with a flowing train she did not move she might have been painted into the stone but jeremy's gaze seen dimly and as it were upwards through a pair of high widely extended farmer's legs was soon withdrawn from this highly coloured lady to the central figure of the scene this was a man who seemed to jeremy the biggest and blackest human he had ever seen he had jet-black hair a black beard and struggling now in the middle of the yard between three rough-looking countrymen his clothes were almost torn from the upper part of his body his face was bleeding and even as jeremy caught sight of him he snatched one arm free and caught one of his captors a blow that sent him reeling for one instant he seemed to rise above the crowd gathering himself together for a mighty effort he seemed in that second to look towards jeremy his eyes staring out of his head his great chest heaving his legs straining but at once four men were upon him and began to drive him towards the gate the crowd bending back and driving jeremy into a confusion of thighs and legs behind which he could see nothing then suddenly once more the scene cleared and the boy saw a figure run from the house crying something his hand raised someone caught the figure and stayed it for a second of time jeremy saw humphrey's face flaming with anger then the crowd closed round at the same instant the black man seemed to be whirled towards them there was a crushing a screaming a boot seemed to rise from the ground of its own volition and kick him violently in the face and he fell down 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 into a bottomless sea of black pitch six for three days he was in bed his head aching one cheek swollen to twice its natural size one eye closed to his amazement no one scolded him no one asked him how he had been caught in that crowd everyone was very kind to him once he asked his mother what had happened she told him that they were very wicked people and had gone away when he was up and about again he went to the farm and looked through the gate within there was absolute stillness a pig was snuffling amongst the manure he went out to the moor it was a perfect afternoon only a little breeze blowing the pools slightly ruffled were like blue lace a rabbit sitting in front of his hole did not move he threw himself face downwards on the ground burying his nose in it feeling in some strange way that humphrey was there End of chapter 8